0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode one hundred and fifteen of the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan, and I'm James. And this episode is brought to you by nobody. I'm going to try it on my own, like Whitney Houston. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is a whopper of an episode. It's a recapping everything Indian Wells, which is a whopper of a tournament. Mm -hmm. It's the Arthur Ashe of tennis tournaments. In what way? in that it's expansive, its largesse is entirely unnecessary. The Arthur Ashe Stadium. Stadium, yes. Oh, oh yes. Good good quali- <laughs> qualifier right there. Lord. <laughs> the Arthur Ashe Stadium of tennis play. It sure is. It's
1: excessive in all the worst ways. Yeah. So we've got a, a tight four hours for you
0: today. That reminds me of this thing that I've seen going around the internet today, because we just watched Black Panther for the first time. Mm -hmm. Shame on us. We wanted to watch together. It just didn't work out with our schedules and vacation and whatnot. But somebody screenshotted this dude on YouTube who was like, I got your review for you, and the timestamp is three hours and something minutes. (laughs) And somebody quote tweets and says, "Uh, no thanks, I'll just watch Black Panther. It's two (laughs) hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) What are you talking about for that long? And it made me think, my God, maybe that's what people think about us sometimes. I know, right? So
1: we have been in Florida. Uh, last week we got back got back from Florida. That's why we've been on hiatus for a little while. We were on the Space Coast, right near Kennedy Space Center. Um, it was cold. Thanks a lot, Florida. What are you good for if you're not warm? But I still have a nice tan.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you f- fishing for a compliment? No. I know it looks nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so... I will tell the viewers, too, what you are sporting as well is a Federer beard. Ew! Okay, I was complaining about
1: the Federer stubble the other day because it looks horrible. <laughs> I think everyone except the most ardent stans would agree with me. It's just, it's not becoming. It,
0: he's not a bad-looking guy, but the stubble is just... Ugh. And listen, picture it. Sicily, 1921. <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch, minding my own goddamn business... And he's standing in the kitchen telling me about how disgusting the stubble is. And I look at the TV, and I look at him, and I look at the TV again. I'm like, girl, you are sporting the exact same look right now. When I tell you I was vexed. You were so mad. <laughs> it was the most well-steeped tea you've ever drank. Mm-hmm. All right. Where do you want to start with this Indian Wells thing?
1: Serena and Venus, round three. Okay. Going into it, it was the talk of the tournament, the possibility that these two women could play each other for the 29th time. Serena had to make it through two matches. Venus had to make it through one. It happened, and,
0: uh, I mean, it didn't really last long. Uh, No, it did not. Miss Venus Williams won in straight sets. And let's talk about Serena to begin with. Because on, on paper, based on everything that's happened in the last... 14 months since Serena last played. And Venus referenced this ad nauseum after the match. Like, well, I've had more matches. And that's really what it boiled down to. Because there were spots in that match where Serena was missing floater second serve returns by mere inches that Serena of two years ago would not have missed. It would have been a totally different match.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was very clear that she's rusty, Out of practice, she's still getting into fighting shape, and you could tell she was mad because she was missing things that normally come easily to her. That said, Venus played a very clean match. She was quick. Her forehand throughout this whole tournament was impressive, to say the least, because the forehand can go off, as you know.
0: And the forehand has been one of her more consistent shots in the last two years. It's the most improved part of her game, Mm -hmm. which somebody in press asked her, what's been the most improved parts of your game since your resurgence, my words not theirs. And she says that according to her, her forehand is bigger than ever. I, I think that's true. I
1: think her game looks so impressive, she's in good shape, I don't think there's any physical problems with her game at all, and we'll get into the semifinals in a little while, but there's not much to say about the match itself. To be totally honest, Venus came with a game plan. I'm I'm glad that she didn't show mercy on Little Sister. I think maybe she was like, you know what? This is for telling me you were pregnant right before the match. <laughs> a, little, a little, I know they would never frame it this way. But did Venus feel a little vindicated?
0: No, I don't think so. No, and I think, would have because I'm a petty bitch. But And I think Venus has tried her damnedest. win every one of those matches she's lost to serena Mm -hmm. it's just that serena has had her number for a very long time let's talk about serena's form in terms of what we expected what we saw and what are the improvements for her to my mind having watched her in fed cup i was a little bit alarmed in terms of having not seen her for a while i didn't watch the exhibition against Ostapenko at the end of december it was the first time i was really taking in where she is now it's like, wow, Serena has a long way to go, which is to be expected. Right. And so with the short turnaround from Fed Cup to Indian Wells, I really was wondering how much improvement could have been made in that short time. To go from playing doubles with Venus, where you're not made to cover that much of the court, to have to cover the entirety of the court by yourself against world-class players. Mm-hmm. There
1: was a vast improvement in my eyes, especially in the serve. And her movement, obviously, is not where it was or where it needs to be. And she knows that. And I think when her footwork and her movement get caught up, a lot of these shots are going to come much easier for her because it's hard to hit out of position, obviously.
0: Mm -hmm. And And that's, that's where she found herself a lot. Right,
1: right. From the perspective of a professional tennis player, do you sort of forget any of your court sense? Do
0: you think that comes back naturally, or is it something you have to work on? It's something that goes hand in hand with your physicality, yeah, with yeah. being in shape. And that was the thing that I noticed most about Serena, in that her movement to net was incredible. Mm-hmm. I was so surprised at how quick she was able to... Let me tell you, those women tried their best to drop shot Serena, and <laughs> she was not having it. She got to dominate every one. Right. But when she was made to change directions suddenly, or when somebody hit behind her or she had to change direction quickly, then it became a little bit more iffy for her. Right. That's where her lack of fitness, or less than peak Serena, S-E-R-E-N-A, fitness, <laughs> came into play.
1: Yeah. And for the stands, for the army, these are not value judgments on Serena. These are totally
0: reasonable expectations, that she's not in 100% Fitness, right? To my mind, she exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. Certainly not her own or Patrick's, maybe I don't know. Right, but as a as a viewer and somebody who follows tennis and her career extensively, I was uh, impressed. Had she not had to mm-hmm. play Venus that early on, if Venus were not in such good form, then maybe she should have been able to play her her way into better form throughout the tournament. Right. Now we've we've heard like whispers some rumors
1: about people in her camp or people close to her having like apocalyptic views of this comeback or feeling pessimistic about it earlier this year and i think we can put those to rest even if that was even true some journalists were even talking about it on twitter but this is this is a learning experience traveling with a baby getting back into shape after a a really traumatic physical experience <laughs> Mackie Shillstone is in Miami right now, so you know she's serious about fitness in that case. because That old man will
0: run your ass into the ground. To me, it just boils down to getting her body right. Mm-hmm. Because we saw glimpses of everything in her play. Vina struggled to close it out, not because of nerves entirely, but because Serena found a way to win those points in those high-pressure moments like she always did. Right, She wasn't able to get to the next step because of all these other limitations, but the Serena that we know is there. Mm -hmm. It's just gonna take a while to get it all together. Her mentality should be encouraging to Serena fans
1: and probably quite annoying to Venus fans. And I found myself a little bit with a foot in the ladder camp at the end of that match because I expected this warm embrace at net and it just wasn't there. Venus practically forced Serena to hug her. Serena made her way off court and she was pissed. Like there was no, I love you, Venus. I'm so glad we played for the 29th time. It was
0: like, I really wanted to win that match and I'm not happy about it. Those things are not new. No. To to expect Serena to be like, oh, I'm so happy you won this 29th match. This is such a special occasion. I don't think they take from those matches what we do. Like they right. don't they don't enjoy them right exactly so yeah. there's no ceremony with regards to that i think what we what you're touching on is for all the moments that venus has had to eat it
1: well basically <laughs> those, venus
0: has to be the bigger person in in either outcome uh, and in the situation where the betting i don't know what the odds were but most tennis viewers would probably have expected venus to win that match And so for one of the few matches where Serena is not necessarily expected to win, and she doesn't, she could have been, these are moralizing judgments we're placing on her, (laughs) but it could have been more effusive emotionally toward Venus. (laughs) See how carefully chosen those words were? Exactly,
1: And then we get into press, and Serena is, well... Her usual pressed self <laughs> which as i say as a fan i'm encouraged that she cares so much and that she's pretty pissed that she didn't either win or perform better she had higher expectations for herself but the drama the press was...
0: conference was perfectly fine mm-hmm. save for that one comment right. where she said well i think she played better than she normally does mm-hmm. referring to venus like girl come on and then as you said She goes on Instagram, and what did she do? Oh, my God.
1: I'll, you know, (laughs) I'll grow from this. I'll make it through the rain. I'll stand up once again.
0: It it was just, it's too much. Like, Serena is so dramatic. If there were ever a moment for her to just give it all to Venus, this was it. Right. And we just know now that she's not about that life. Which is fine. It's fine. It's something that we will just have to accept. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you lost to the
1: number eight player in the world, who made two Grand Slam finals last year, who's beaten you 12 times over the course of your career, like it's not embarrassing.
0: No. You know? And that <laughs> scoreline, was... what, what was it? 6-3, six, six, or something like that? Something something like that.
1: Anyway, can we talk about Naomi Osaka? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I have to tell you, watching that final, I actually felt kind of emotional. I felt so full, and I I can't say it pride because, I can't call it pride because I don't know her, (laughs) but I feel that we, you and I, and so many other people have had such high hopes for Naomi for, for years now. Last year was particularly difficult because she didn't rise the way she expected to, but I just felt like so ecstatic emotionally that she is putting it together. She looks confident. She looks comfortable with herself, with her game. Like, I was just overjoyed.
0: We saw glimpses of it when she walloped Barty in Australia. Yes. Right? And then she wasn't able to carry on afterward. This tournament, however, she starts right away with Sharapova. And uh, that was not a good result for Maria. no. No. She then goes through Radwanska, Sasha Vickery, Sakari, Karolina Pliskova, Simona Halep, and then Daria Kazatkina in the final. All in straight sets. (laughs) All, essentially, for all intents and purposes, blown the fuck off the tennis court. Uh,
1: I mean, 6-3-6 love against the number one player in the world, Simona Halep. Karolina Pliskova, who should... I mean, their game should match up well, right? Pliskova should be able to answer power for power. Um, I, the things about Naomi's game, like there are almost too many things that have come together all at once. The forehand, she had such dexterity with the forehand, the short angles cross court, down the line, inside out. It was at one point in the final was just getting a little bit nasty, like disrespectful. (laughs) The movement is so improved. I think just her confidence on court, her aggression, the fact that she's not getting down on herself when things don't go her way.
0: I was just so impressed. I unfortunately was at work. I mm-hmm. could not watch it. Yeah. Um, I want to know from you, what do you make of all the praise that's being heaped on Sasha Biden? Right. I know it's,
1: it's a faux pas, generally, and we've subscribed to this to give too much credit to coach of a female tennis player because most often they're male and you don't want to credit these guys too much for something the player actually has to go out there and do however watching the on-court coaching break between sasha and naomi i was struck by how how professional how prepared and how encouraging sasha was to naomi it was it was very clear he had bullet points he wanted to go through they were all positive, and it seems like they kind of get each other. You know, she was in a good mood, obviously, because she had won the first set, but I I just felt like it seems, it may be too early to tell, this is a relationship that, that really works for both of them. And Sasha has put in the hard work with Serena. I'm sure he got, you know, yelled at plenty of times by Serena. He worked with Vika, he worked with Wozniacki, and...
0: I'm... I don't know. I'm impressed. So these were both people ready for their glow-up. Basically, yeah. yeah. The caveat that I will add is that it could be a matter of circumstance and right time, right place for Sasha because we've known about Naomi's prodigious talent. Mm -hmm. And she's exactly at the age where that talent should be coming to the fore. So I have no doubt that he's played a part in that. I'm just not here... For the overarching narrative to be, oh my God, look at what this guy has done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, and people said this about Patrick
1: when he started working with Serena, that he totally remade her game and reinvented her. And I'm I'm not saying all that. It just seems like these two work
0: well together. There's a tendency for people to indulge in a cult of personality when it comes to tennis coaches. Yeah. And we've seen that on steroids with the so-called super coaches. Right. And um I'm happy for Sasha. I'm just not about to be taking anything from Naomi in this moment. Absolutely. And I totally get yeah. your point and I'm not saying you're doing that that's just mm-hmm. what I have to say on that.
1: On that note, less Sasha, more Naomi. She uh to me this is the kind of performance that that announces careers and you obviously you were going through our predictions from last year and you mentioned to me that my predictions were terrible which i don't i don't think were totally true predictions for this year yes like predicting who would break out mm-hmm. and it's obviously too early to tell this is why we don't make predictions but this is the kind of performance Naomi's and Dasha Kazatkina's just slaying of seeds and former grand slam champions that that announces a a possibly huge career.
0: Mm-hmm. We have to add the caveat to of this god awful surface. Yeah. Se- like seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and so when somebody makes that type of run here, I will always have that in the back of my mind. Do I think that Naomi mm-hmm. is not the person to still go on and win grand slams? I do not think that. I think right. that she absolutely will. I think that it's even it's even
1: more encouraging that she did this on a very slow, hard court. I agree. Right? Kazatkina is someone who might excel at Roland Garros.
0: Mm-hmm. And okay. we've, we've heard people say that this court, with the grit, it plays a lot like, like Clay. Mm. Tyler Green mentioned on Twitter that the reason, I don't know how true this is, It's not my. I don't have expertise in this, but the reason why the court is uh, repeatedly like this is because Larry Ellison is buddies with Rafa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think Larry Ellison is buddies with people who can multiply his wealth.
0: We've talked a long time about Naomi's personality. It's something that other people talk about, and rightfully so. I sat down with Naomi in Charleston last year and you've you can listen to that interview again. It was it was an experience. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a ride. It right? is.
0: Like from a listener's
1: perspective, it is At once, incredibly awkward and hilarious. I actually, I re-listened to it the other day and was laughing out loud, but also cringing
0: several times. For me? (laughs) Well, for both. (laughs) And now that she's winning and she's won this tournament and she got the platform of giving that victory speech, so many more people are having the privilege of experiencing Mm -hmm. Naomi in all her glory. Shall we? the staff and the physios. Oh, whoops, sorry. Um, I would like to thank Dasha. <laughs> I would like to thank Dasha um, for being super nice and um, also being a really cool person to play against. Um, I'm pretty sure we're gonna play a lot of finals and stuff later, so hopefully. And then I would also like to thank Dasha's team
1: The are super nice too. Um, and, yeah. Um, hello? Hi, I'm Naomi- Uh, oh, no, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I tell you I laugh, like I was here by myself and was Mm. dying laughing through the entire thing. She is just a treat. Shout out to Kazatkina as well. Wow, what a run. She beat uh, several recent Grand Slam champions. Wozniacki, Sloan, Angelique Kerber, obviously Venus in the semifinals. And I will say that she was a prediction of mine to get to the top 10 this year. And that's looking pretty damn good at this point. Well, she ain't quite there yet. No.
0: She's at number
1: 11. <laughs> She's very close. Yeah. <laughs> she was last year's Charleston winner. Mm-hmm. We know she can play on
0: clay. This was a slow hard court. Yeah. And so yeah, that prediction may fall short. Oh, if those points come mm-hmm. off. And she's unable to do too well okay, rest, All next right. little while.
1: <laughs> the only time I've seen her live was in Cincinnati, and she did not play well that day. So I didn't have a lot to go off of. She has... Uh, I mean, the versatility is is stunning. Like, there's there's no other way to put it. She's not just a backboard. She's not just a grinder. There's, there's real creativity and, and so much finesse
0: in what she does. So I certainly do not want to diminish that in any way. The semifinal against Venus, we both watched it. I was struck by Venus's patience and her playing within the margins, but with a lot of power still. Mm-hmm. Like There are points where Venus is just crushing the ball and Dasha is just moving a couple feet either way and just casually getting the ball back. That right. There was no oomph on that surface at all. Venus could have swung her shoulder out of its socket and would not have hit a winner against somebody like Dasha that night. Right. Let it not be said
1: that Venus Williams tries to end rallies early because she was ready to dig in during that semifinal. She was hanging with her, as you said, with pace, hitting deep, and man, I mean, Venus played so well. It was so demoralizing (laughs)
0: Toward the end that she couldn't get it done. Kazatkina now has a 2-on-1 record against Venus. Mm-hmm. The first time they played was when Venus was defending in Auckland in 2016. She beat Venus in the first round, three sets. Later that year, Venus plays a third round, I believe, against her at Wimbledon. Wins 10-8 in the third. And then again here, another deep three-set match. Yeah, Kazakhina
1: has had a an amazing past few weeks she beat Wozniacki twice the other time was in St. Petersburg she beat Muguruza in the semifinals in Dubai and lost to the final or lost to Spitalina in the final there but it really seems like she's putting things together her I mean what she can do on her backhand is pretty crazy she can do anything a slice drop shot on both sides
0: spins every which
1: way and her, she gets a lot of pace on her shots, surprisingly. I, I didn't give her enough credit before I started watching her during this tournament. But the pace she gets on her forehand, especially because she takes it early, is, is impressive. And you know she watches Rafael Nadal. He's her idol, mm-hmm. basically. And you can, you can see it in her game. Although they don't have identical games, obviously.
0: The second serve is an issue for her. Yeah. Where is it? I mean, if, if she were to improve that second serve exponentially, then watch out.
1: Mm-hmm. But Venus was in this. She wanted so badly to win. And man, she was making those reporters work in press,
0: even when she won. Was she not? She was. It was a, I feel like an entire paper could be written about this wow. from the perspective yeah. of this narrative that's endured that Venus is difficult in press. Mm-hmm. Venus is also delightful in press at times. The issue for reporters is that you really never know which Venus is going to show up from Correct. day to day, even within a tournament like this where she's had four or five wins. Mm-hmm. She was pretty consistently not having it at this <laughs> tournament.
1: Because sometimes you get a bubbly, effusive Venus, and it just depends on what kind of
0: mindset she's in. Mm -hmm. It seems like from the beginning of the week. It seems that winning at Grand Slams, she's in a better spirit. Yes. I think she's able to have more time in between matches. She doesn't see it as an encroachment on her professional Uh commitments, which is the tennis, which is what's most important. When she's doing All Access Hour which was my experience in Charleston last year, she was a certifiable delight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Engaging, smiling when she's making eye contact with you. Uh, the other thing is that you, I watched all these press conferences back to back to back last night. And I know it's overstated. Well, I, maybe I'm not the one to judge whether it's overstated, but it's said a lot on Twitter, especially that, man... Like, some of these questions that are asked in press are really bad, and quite frankly... Well,
1: they're not, they're simply not questions.
0: No, and also, mm-hmm. Venus multiple times throughout those press conferences had to say, I'm, what, was it, what was your question? And I had the exact same reaction, I had no idea what the question was. Yeah,
1: yeah like, this is J-School 101. You don't ask multi-pronged questions, you don't ask yes or no questions, the the question has to be clear. They have to know what they're
0: answering. And that was the thing I noticed from watching the sequence of press conferences. Even if the response weren't as elaborate or effusive or congenial as you'd like, if you asked her a direct question with a clear meaning that was not salacious or having to do with her sister or giving away like secrets to her game, Venus ans- answered you directly. You know, you got mm-hmm. something out of her. Yeah. It wasn't like the most pleasant exchange. Right. It's not going to be three paragraphs long. But it but... it gave me the impression that if, if the business is being done properly and questions are being asked that are intuitive or, you know, not rehashed for the hundredth time mm-hmm. or the third time this week alone, which there were repeat questions yeah. <laughs> from oh, of course. Yeah. press conference to press conference, then... She's willing to play, quote-unquote, quote, play the game more. Mm-hmm. But you do, you really have to put in the work. As you should. <laughs> I, I agree. As you should. Yes. How many, you took issue, how many times did, do we find this, this question objectionable? Talk about so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Mm-hmm. You could simply Again, say...
1: that's not a question.
0: It's not. Can you talk about what happened at this point in the match? That's you're trying to get at the same thing, but you're actually asking it in a non-lazy way. Because that's what it comes across <laughs> yeah. as. And if I'm if I'm a player, I don't meet that with professionalism. Or
1: mm-hmm. I don't
0: think of it as being professional. I think that there is legitimate qualms to be had with the professionalism with which reporters ask questions in press. And part yeah. of that is a lot of them aren't working journalists. They aren't trained right. journalists. We've talked about this before. Um, but even so, you don't have to be a trained journalist to ask proper questions no, no, absolutely at all. You just need to be better. Simple.
1: I think before we move on from the women's side of this tournament, we do have to talk about the, at least my annoyance with these questions that are trying to lead Venus and Serena to praising the crowd at Indian Wells. And neither of them are having it. They're not going to give you a good answer about this Is- question. Neither of them is... Oh, fuck. You know, I looked this up because <laughs> somebody challenged me on it. And apparently both are correct. Okay. Because of but would many both, centuries of usage.
0: Both is correct would be correct no, as well? No. No. Look it up
1: in the OED. All okay. right? I'm just te- I'm telling you. I'm just telling just, That's just, just the way anyway, There, every, once, every press conference you get these questions... Talk about how the crowd was embracing you so much and clearly it's dancing around what happened in 2001 and it's trying to get Venus and Serena to embrace the crowd as they supposedly have embraced Venus and Serena, right? And like, listen, just drop it. Like it's not enough that they're here, that they came back without an apology, without any sort of truth and reconciliation about what happened here in 2001 just drop it
0: they also thank them after their match right it's something that they it's they address on court it's enough
1: you know it honestly it pissed me off and it's probably not that big a deal for most people but it really annoyed me
0: and i know some people are going to be like well venus has a professional obligation to do this press stuff and to, i respond to that by saying she's there Right. Like, at this point, I mean, I am not going to hold her to that fire. I'm just not. After 20 years. It's time to talk about the men. Here we are again, having to talk about men's tennis. And again, it is a far inferior product (laughs) to the women's game at this tournament. The women's draw did outshine the
1: men again. I will say that the men's final was great. Legitimately great. There's no denying that. But the rest of the tournament left a lot to be desired, and the WTA picked up the slack.
0: Maybe they should have just had Federer and Del Potro play best of five games in the first to fifth rounds, Mm -hmm. and then just have them play again in the final. But we would have missed Milos Raonic
1: storming into the semifinals. Milos is back. Grr, he is back.
0: Hallelujah. And nobody asked for it. (laughs) No, we do have some people who ask for We do, we do, and I'm so sorry. There, I know of at least a few Canadian listeners who are into Miloš, and yeah, good for you. And how dare we alienate
1: our Canadian listeners? <laughs> That's just a bad business model, so I take it back. But, what happened? I mean, okay, early in the tournament, Djokovic played Taro Daniel. I was surprised that he was even playing Indian Wells, and there was a lot of... Just very pessimistic hand wringing on social media about Djokovic's performance, and I like I get it, but what did like? What do you expect? He just had a surgical intervention on the wrist, on the arm, or or whatever the elbow, whatever's going on, the elbow.
0: I have not been paying okay. that close it's an, attention. Okay, it's the
1: elbow. He claimed he was not playing in pain at the beginning of the tournament. Clearly. Regardless of what's going on with the elbow, he's rusty. Uh, probably the mental side is not there yet. I I don't think the sky is falling with Novak, but it is. It's a little surprising to see him, because we're so accustomed to him him fighting. Right? He he seemed resigned toward the end of that match, and it was disappointing.
0: He's been the jokinator for so many years. Right. <laughs> He's been like a machine. And it's, we've come to understand and learn that Djokovic is a a very sensitive and emotional guy. Mm-hmm. And that's something I admire in a man, frankly. Right. right. Um, and if that is contributing to his struggles, then let him sort it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is to say... He may get back to where he was before, that would not be surprising, but we're witnessing somebody going through some things right now, and um, I'm I'm very able and willing to just give him that that leeway.
1: And he is such an, an otherworldly talent that, like Serena, a lot of people expect him to be able to storm back and dominate, or at least play the best players well. And that clearly didn't happen at this tournament. That doesn't mean that he's over or anything like that. I think we just have to give him some time.
0: He's in Miami now, and he says he's playing pain-free. He's entered in doubles as well. He just needs some time, it seems. The Joker world is not ending. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Just give the men some space. Mm -hmm. Juan Martin Del Potro. Again, again, Del Potro. I tweeted rather tongue-in-cheekly that fed has a delpo daddy at this point (laughs) because this guy is his bugaboo right now Mm -hmm.
1: beat him at the us open
0: beat him at the us open nine years ago right
1: in 2009 beat him in 2017 federer came in what he was like 16 and 0 Going into that final, right? He has not lost this year. I think he was 17 no going for 18. Oh, okay. And, man, it was a dramatic match. The outcome was always in doubt. (laughs) At one point, after Del Potro lost the second set, I actually turned it off, watched something
0: else, and I came back and it was still going. Federer had double match point at 5-4 in the third set. 40-15. Mm-hmm. And it is not often that you see him unable to close out on serve like that.
1: Yeah. I I mean, you assume that late in the match, if he has broken, like it's over. He's going to serve it out. He is not the most powerful server in history, but I would argue that very few players have used their serve more effectively than he has. I mean, if you want someone to serve for your life... I would probably pick him over almost anyone.
0: Including Serena.
1: Well, I'm, I'm sticking to the men's side right okay. now. I'm not going to compare the two. Okay. I'm saying even among the massive servers, Federer is one of the most reliable
0: servers. He double faulted twice to go down love 5 in that third set tiebreak. And you have noted here that according to Steve Tiniour, uh, Federer is 1-7 in tournament deciding tiebreaks. Yeah,
1: I was rather surprised by that stat. And it just goes to show you that great champions have mental blocks as well. I really thought at the sec- at the end of the second set when Del Potro had... I think he had, like, many, many chances, right, to close that out. Federer had, like, seven or eight set points. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. And finally converted it, and I was like, oh, God, this is not good. Like, if Federer is able to get into a second set, or a third set and break once, it's over. And he did break, and it wasn't over. This match just had everything. It's fodder for the people who hate best of five, first of all, because it was an epic best of three. It had pissy Delpo, pissy Roger. Um, The rallies were out of this world. It had Federer's old backhand, or as I like to say, his real backhand. That is so bad. That is so bad. <laughs> I'm, again, I, I'm having to apologize to our listeners. But there were some... Man, I mean, clearly it was not Federer's best day. And uh, most of the time, he's somebody who will win on, on his B game. Even his C and D game, right?
0: Even Federer is susceptible to an off day. Right. The thing that I want us to talk about here is Fed. Mhm. Mhm.
1: Yeah, I don't want to you know, I don't want to overdo it because the man is what? He's 36. 36 now? Mm-hmm. Same age as Serena. Like someone said there there are not as many chances left as there were. He wants to win as much as anybody. But he did do his best Caroline Wozniacki impression in this match. He was I mean chirping Fergus Murphy the chair umpire, "Non stop." Complaining about Del Potro, complaining about line calls. I mean, it was, it was a lot, and I think a lot of people who are detractors of Roger want us to say, "Look at how bratty he is." You know, he never gets called out for this stuff, and in, in some ways, it's true. He does get a pass for
0: this kind of thing. It wasn't like it wasn't cute. Multiple things are true with Federer with respect to this issue, mm-hmm. and. The context of it is that every year he gets voted Sportsman of the Year yes, or Best Sportsmanship, what is the it? The Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Award. Uh huh. That's 13 times. Voted on by the players. Mm. And it's hard to, to reconcile that with some of these instances, which frankly, they're not new. They've been happening throughout the course of his career. Yeah. Like, this is not a, a first-time occurrence. Better when he's winning, and I've always said this, it's so easy to be magnanimous when you're winning. Right. It's when you're losing, it's a true test of, mm. a moralizing term here, but a true test of character. And why where, where I say multiple things are true, damn near everybody in the ATP loves Roger. And part of that is that he goes out of his way to be kind to people, to help people. There were multiple reports this week of younger players that he went out of his way to give advice to. Which is, I mean, that is absolutely something he does not have to do. Right. With all the demands on his time, the stuff that he's doing, it's beyond.
1: And he could say, he could look at it like, these young boys are coming for me. Mm -hmm. Why would I give them advice?
0: They're coming to snatch my quickly disappearing wig.
1: (laughs) You know, the texture of his hair, though, is very nice. It is. It still is so Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. The, where it starts... Is is receding a bit. It is, but I mean, he's getting up there. Of, yeah,
0: but let's not be. And credit to a lot of Fed fans, they they acknowledge, pissy Fed. Mm-hmm. Like they, this is not surprising to them. Nor do they nor do they take issue with people pointing it out because they know that this is what's to be expected in these moments. Like this is, this is part of who he is as well. Right. So this is part of the the full picture, the full package of Federer, and.
1: I think what what sometimes gets lost in this is when we criticize Roger and especially when we criticize crowds that are overwhelmingly supportive of Roger, a lot of these people are not fans. They're they're not the diehard Fed fans that you know and love from Tennis Twitter. They're rich people who go to tennis because that's what rich people do. They got a ticket. They, They behave badly. They cheer Federer's opponents' misses vociferously and it's just not it's not cute
0: these are the same people who would have told you that Venus should retire two three years ago because (laughs) the undercurrent and they're like sorry which sister is she again? exactly the 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 common thread here is that and you'll see it in fandom of all sports you get a ticket to a sport that you're not necessarily the most attuned to you ask somebody well who should i be rooting for who is the top gun oh well that's my horse you know, I feel like that's a lot of right, right. the Federer fandom at these big events.
1: So, I think in one sense, you know, Federer feels like a hometown favorite everywhere he plays, right? He he has crowd support. It's expected almost everywhere in the world. And that's that's just the truth that that Federer fans have to accept. Is it an advantage? Maybe. Is it his fault? No. He d- he doesn't ask for it. He doesn't pump up the crowds. He doesn't ask them to behave that way. They love him. And it's not his fault. Like, I want that to be clear. But, is it an advantage? Maybe. Again, that's not that's not diminishing how great he is. He would be a champion regardless. But, it can be seen as a disadvantage to an opponent. Who, who has to fight Federer as well as all of that. All that intangible stuff.
0: And we see little instances where Federer having to deal with stuff that regular folk deal with every match yeah. multiple times yeah. and it's like a big commotion <laughs> right right sometimes you just wish he would uh, like grin and bear it like it's as if he thought that his 10 foot trophy horse was high enough off the ground to not have to deal with this bullshit <laughs> you know and lo and behold it's wafting up into his stratosphere <laughs> It's kind of amusing. Like, I'm taking the piss out of it. Right. I don't have the energy to be super upset about it. I do get why people are pressed and pissed about it. And I do get why people think it's overblown.
1: Yeah. I mean, at this point, like, the guy has been playing for 20 years. He's won 20 Grand Slams. Like, he's he's earned his spot. He's probably earned the right to be a little bitchy. Because I excuse it in my faves. Why shouldn't I excuse it in Roger?
0: Um, and if you wonder why people call him Gramps, this is part of it. Yeah. Because he behaves like an irascible old man sometimes. Yeah, he's a little bit grumpy. Yeah. That said, should he be mad about not winning all the time? Sure. He should be. It shows he still wants it yeah, more than he's anybody. he's 36, he's still out here yeah. trying to win. He was unbeaten to start the year. In a lot of ways, he's where even he himself didn't expect him to be. I saw an interview in 2012... I don't know if he was asked or if he volunteered it that, you know, getting to 100 tournament titles would be a dream, but he doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. think it's going to happen. I mean, at that point, who did? And lo and behold, what is he at, 97 or 97. something? It's, it's a distinct yeah. possibility. So these opportunities may not always be there. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Borna Chorich, who out of nowhere makes a semifinal. <laughs> He's back.
1: I've Oh my God, I was rooting for him so hard in that match. He has... I mean, his backhand is really something to behold. It's his big weapon. A lot of other things about him are... Something to something behold. Something to behold. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. He was so... Cl- like, in a lot of moments, he was really close to, to closing out the great Roger Federer. And he's somebody who people have been watching for a long time. He's had a lot of ebbs and flows. And I, I think... He could really put it together and be a
0: a threat. A few other et cetera's from Indian Wells. Sharapova, after she loses to Osaka, announces that her and Sven Grunfeld have split up. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of jokes at Maria's expense re... Well, what do you expect was going to happen now that she doesn't have meldonium anymore? Referencing her string of subpar results, her injuries, not being able to stay on tour consistently and perform. And in conjunction with that i was reading john Wortham's mailbag and something he posited there was well do we what do we make of sharpov in this instance in terms of feeling an extra burden to validate her career pre being caught with meldonium
1: mm-hmm. yep absolutely
0: because the jokes that are being made at her expense here the 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 core of that is well Maybe she wasn't as good as she was before, in truth, because she was being aided by this drug. And if, even if, meldonium had little to no effect on her performance, that is still something that people are going to think. It's the Mm -hmm. perception. And it must be something that I don't care who you are. It's something that you'd want to To make sure that people don't doubt that through your performances when you come back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Maria obviously knows what people are saying about her. She gets harassed on Twitter quite a bit. And we've talked about, you know, Maldonia may not even have much of a performance enhancing effect. And that's really beside the point. Because the career is going to be tainted by these questions. But... For me, looking at at it from a less charitable point of view, throughout her career, she's been seen as the most mentally strong, the most capable player out there. And it's time to put up or shut up, honestly. Like, if she is the most mentally strong player of her generation, show me. Because I saw her win one game against Serena Williams at the Olympics. Where is the mental strength?
0: Is that unfair? Uh I'm just watching the mic roll around on the ground here after you just dropped it. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm. I don't think anything more you, needs to be said. You don't want to touch that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough.
1: How about something we both can chime in about these fucking McEnroe brothers? Oh my god! And then the 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 extraneous bros who defend them on
0: Twitter. Mm. First of all, Patrick McEnroe is out here in this semi final with George and Federer. Talking about how Simona Halep could take a a note or two from Federer's playbook. Oh in terms of even when you're not playing your best, still grinding it out. But he kept saying it over and over. It's just... First of all, Simona Halep and Roger Federer. <laughs> first of all, bitch. <laughs> first of all, Simona Halep and Roger Federer are similar in that they're both number one. That's where it ends. Mm. Simona Halep is not Roger Federer. Yeah. Simona Halep has had her issues repeatedly with turning in these kinds of performances. Something that she's aware of, that she's addressing, that she's been very frank and open about. But Simona Halep is also somebody who damn near died on the tennis court in Australia. Yeah. So, like, don't be out here preaching to Simona Halep Halep from your pulpit when she did all that in Australia. Right? Like, And who are you? You are a second-rate McEnroe. Mm -mm. You're not even in a third tier of McEnroe. (laughs) Like, your playing career, for you to be able to comment on Simona Halep, disqualifies you. And your track record as a commentator doubles down on that. So let's keep her name out of your mouth. On to the next McEnroe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Martina Navratilova
1: gave an interview this week where she accused the BBC of paying her 10 times less than John McEnroe for what she views as a similar if not identical job. She claims that John McEnroe made 150,000 pounds for his work at Wimbledon for the BBC. I swear
0: to god I had to read that multiple times. Mm. I was floored that she yeah. gets paid that much, like that's crazy. Well, I to me. was
1: not surprised, but I was surprised that she only made fifteen thousand pounds for for who she is. And the BBC struck back and said, "John is one of the voices of Wimbledon. As far as the BBC goes, he did way more work. Our employment relationship is different." And Martina did like a few spots here and there in some matches and whatever, and we don't care about you, basically. Uh, but basically, but. Martina has never been shy about talking about women's equality, about pay equity, and she knows she's going to be faced with all of these amateur economists from every corner of the globe trying to educate her about pay equity and how gender pay imbalance is not a real thing and da 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 What I object to is the argument that, okay, John McEnroe is a huge personality people know him he can negotiate for better contracts but the argument that he's a better analyst is i mean i realize it's subjective but it's so stupid it's absurd like it's really like this would it would be saying like donald trump is smarter than barack obama it's incredibly dumb it's indefensible (laughs) i mean you can say that you find him more entertaining that's fine but he's unprepared he doesn't know any player out of the top 15 to 20.
0: He he just doesn't try. I tweeted, making fun of McEnroe, that he says, who's this player? They've come out of nowhere. Wow! Uh, that he says this literally hundreds of times about top 50 players. <laughs> and people have responded saying... <laughs> A s- historical Stella from Puerto Rico. She says that... <laughs> When I used to play Borg, which he says all the time, (laughs) it's so on point. And then um, Second Serve Hack uh, goes further and says, This has got to be the best game that so-and-so has ever played in his or her life. The top player must be thinking, where did this guy or girl come from? (laughs) (laughs) That is so accurate. It's so
1: accurate. and It's because John McEnroe has never heard of this person that no one has ever heard of this person.
0: And we know all that's involved in getting to the top 50 in the world. It just means that he's not paying any attention to right. the regular tour. And now
1: that we know how much he makes by... by that's only one network. And that's a publicly owned network mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom. <laughs> he also has commitments for ESPN during the same tournament. And every other Grand Slam tournament. So knowing how much he makes. When you do your job... Let's say, when you go to your job... You make one hundred fifty k in two weeks. The expectations of your performance should be very high. Mm -hmm. Like you should be well prepared. You should do your homework. You should take it seriously.
0: Correct. But when your stick is being a louse, and an off the cuff say whatever the Mm. fuck you want, and have it being funny, like ha ha ha, look at that guy be dumb and stupid. You know, like if that's your stick, then what's there to hold?
1: Right. And you can say that Martina Navratilova is not engaging to you. She's not entertaining to you. She doesn't pay the bills. But she is the most qualified. The most. She's engaged. She speaks eloquently. She knows the players. She understands the game. And she tries.
0: And she's a much more decorated tennis player. Much more accomplished. Shout out to... The youth that was served in Indian Wells. The youths. And uh, most especially on the women's side. Big surprise. I mean, Taylor Fritz had a good result. Mm-hmm. He beating Verdesco, I think he yeah. made the fourth round. But on the women's side, Vondrusova, Sabalenka, Vickery, Sakari, Anisimova, Daniel Collins, Caroline Dolahide, they all had big results. And by big, each of them had a notable Second round win. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Anisimova, she went on to reach the fourth round, having beaten Plevlychenkova in the second round and then Kvitova in the third round.
1: Who, as I think we mentioned last episode, is on quite a roll. Petra. Mm-hmm.
0: Sakari went on to do well. Uh, the The roadkill list. Fundrusova <laughs> beat Kanta. Sabalenka beats Kuznetsova in her first round tournament back good to have her back mm. Sasha Vickery she beats Jeannie Bouchard in the first round then beats Muguruza in the second round that was some high octane impressive <laughs> stuff from Vickery in that match
1: as if it wasn't enough doing Jesus's work
0: taking out Eugenie then what? she took you're, out you're Muguruza intent on just I totally am. not having any Canadian no, listeners but
1: did I mention that my boo, Felix Auger Aliasim won a match here In a Masters level event, I was ecstatic
0: about. Mm. Sakari beats one of our faves, Barty, in the second round. And then Danielle Collins beats Madison Keyes in the second round. I don't know where Madison is at right now, to be honest. Why don't you go back to previous episodes where we asked that question and see if you have an answer (laughs) there. I
1: did not have a better answer there either. Okay. Do you want to touch this wildcard drama at Miami? I feel like now it like it's kind of blown over. Mm. But Sasha Vickery was pissed off that she didn't get a wild card to Miami. She grew up in the Miami metro area, has been playing there for a long time. She had some huge wins at Indian Wells, and she was
0: mad she did not get a wild card. She took to Twitter and said, I don't usually do this, but... <laughs> the issue uh, here is... The is t- that the <laughs>
1: beginning of an R. Kelly song?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> uh... The issue here is that the tournament is owned by IMG. And they explicitly go on telling players when they sign them that, well, you will get a wild card if you sign with us, which is a big draw to young uh, yeah, people and, yeah. and players floundering in the rankings. Because mm. that's a payday, guaranteed. And I don't fault James Blake because of these restrictions. Well, it's really, this really not up to him. No. Um... And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's bullshit. I think Francis Tiafo not getting a wild card in favor of Emer from Switzerland mm. or Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Yeah, that's bullshit. He's like ranked in the three hundreds. That's crazy. Right. But again, he's an IMG client.
1: And I mean, we see this at almost every tournament. The wild card system is inherently flawed. It's cor- like it invites corruption and favoritism. We know this. You're really just asking for these things to be <laughs> doled out a little more equitably,
0: but it's never going to be perfect. Especially when an agency owns a tournament. Like there's there's no getting around that. I'm right. Unless you were to say, well, you're going to change the criteria for owning tournaments, but tournaments struggle routinely. You got to take mm. the money where you can to keep these yeah. tournaments afloat
1: and and in the same breath who are we to expect equity when maria sharapova received a wild card wild band a tournament began while she was serving a drug ban and on wednesday when the drug ban expired she played <laughs> you know like there's there's no expectation of Ethical behavior from any tournament. It that goes point. to
0: show that there are multiple layers and levels of involvement when it comes to decision making at these tournaments mm. and that you cannot expect legitimacy or fairness in these situations. Is it in the case of Maria where she gets a wild card because it's going to benefit the tournament in terms of eyes on the event, television, seats in the stand? Or if, I mean, I know it's a different tournament, but you take that method of thinking and say well you have a hometown product in sasha vickery we're going to give her the wildcard because she will put the seats the the people in this in the stands Mm -hmm. people come to share for her you can you can sell that story instead you take the the investment approach where you invest in young players in your own players to say well sign with us and then we'll reap the benefit years down the road in the meantime we're going to give you direct entry mm. into this tournament where you won't be adding anything to the event. It'll probably right. be you'll, lopsided. You'll lose easily yeah. in the first round. And we're not going to see any benefit from that this year. But down the road, we'll be mm. getting that nice 10%. You have written here, food for thought, should the WTA have a maternity leave policy that protects seedings in addition to the protected ranking for tournament entry? And the short answer is yes. (laughs) Oh, so we both agree.
1: Yeah. There's been a lot of conversation about this. Uh, Stuart Fraser of the Times of London took this up in an op-ed. Darren Cahill and Brad Gilbert were very vocal about this on Twitter in the the yes column as well, Mm -hmm. saying that Serena should have a protected seating in addition to the guaranteed entry into these tournaments. And I have to agree. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you know that I'm always in favor of tennis being treated more like a traditional employer-employee relationship, have similar protections. So, you know, in, in Canada and in most Western countries, not the US, when you go on maternity leave, you come back, you're guaranteed your job back, basically, or a similar job at the same level of pay. So why shouldn't tennis reflect that? Why shouldn't tennis take the opportunity to be progressive? Mm-hmm. And in the case of Serena, why waste like why waste a wild card? If you're IMG, you could give your wild card to some you know 500th ranked player you just signed, as we were just talking about, and let Serena be the number one seed. It would have well, it wouldn't actually have prevented a Serena Williams Naomi Osaka first round because Naomi is currently not seeded. But in general, it would prevent these
0: crazy matchups early in the tournament. What is... I don't understand, what is the argument against it? Well, the argument against
1: it is that it... it penalizes players who have been out here for the entire year earning their seed, for example. Say you're the number 32 seed and you get displaced by someone who just came back from Eternity Eve, like, today,
0: you know? But as you said, that's how it works in the real world. Ex- I agree. I agree. I'm just mm-hmm. telling you what the argument is, yeah. right? And to my mind, why wouldn't you want Serena Williams entered in as many tournaments as possible when she's coming back? Mm. She's your biggest draw. Right. No matter how many blonde-haired, blue-eyed women you try and push on us. You know, like, she is your biggest <laughs> asset to the tour. Uh-huh. I see what
1: you're getting at here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's your biggest asset to the tour. And you should want her going deep into the tournament. At Indian Wells, how great a story would it have been if Serena were playing those night matches every night? Mm-hmm. Getting, you know, being able to play her way into four more, not having to play Venus in the third round. I just don't understand the, the mentality it also seems like something that hasn't been given much thought before. Yeah, I think it's and, a sin of omission. Yeah, really. and I, Steve Simon, as I call him, <laughs> Simon has still said that he has since said that it's something that we've considered in the past. This is our current policy, mm-hmm. but it absolutely is something that we will be reconsidering. Yeah, which is encouraging. And beyond the
1: superstars, clearly it would benefit someone like Serena Williams or Victoria Azarenka. Or Veers van
0: Well,
1: exactly. Let's look lower down the rankings. Players who are trying to enter either, you know, 250s, 125s, challengers even. Can you get them a seating in smaller tournaments to make the transition back into playing full-time easier? Because it, there are already so many barriers coming back from Eternity League, physically, emotionally, etc., can you make it easier for someone like Vera Zanareva? Get seatings in a challenger.
0: I think you uh, should fix your phrasing with that because the the pushback against it is when people hear stuff like make it easier because with professional athletes, they want to have it earned, right? But okay. That's what I feel okay. like the, the crux of this matter is. And I'm saying now that it's not about earning it. It's already been earned. Right. So fix yourself. Right. <laughs> We're going to finish with a few... Addenda to the TV episode that preceded this one, and the three things that we're going to talk about are 911, or is it 911? It's what not, is it?
1: It's 911.
0: <laughs> 911. A special segment for Tony, who called us out for not having talked about it mm-hmm. on the TV episode. Uh, we talk about the travesty that was RuPaul Drag Race <sighs> All Stars. All Stars three. And then a few thoughts on Black Panther.
1: 911, Tony. We've been in this Twitter thread. I got invited into it with Tony and Victoria Chiesa of the Tennis Island. They are like all about this show. And it is, I mean, it is the most in every conceivable way.
0: Mm-hmm. You have 10 foot tapeworms being drunk, oh, drawn f- out my of people's asses. God,
1: what the hell was that? It was fairly graphic for a network show.
0: Uh, uh, I'm here for okay. Angela Bassett in every way, shape, or <laughs> form. I'm here for Connie Britton. Mm-hmm. She is, in a lot of ways, the most interesting part of that show as the 911 dispatcher. She does that so well. Yeah. Um, there are other things that I'm less here for. Like, it's not, like, the greatest quality show. It but certainly is not. But it's absolutely one of the most entertaining shows. It is wild, like you see something coming and you're like, oh, that they're is like, it? No, is that? No, and I'm like, yep, that. that is yep. what's gonna mm-hmm. happen. Oh, they did that. Is mm-hmm. she gonna
1: jump from there? <laughs> do you remember that from Drag Race this year? Yes. <laughs> Drag Race. <sighs> okay, I have to. I have to take the lead on this one. Spoilers are coming. It's been over a week, so just just deal with it. Shangela. Failed to complete the calendar year Grand Slam. (laughs) She fell in the semifinals to Roberta Vinci. And that's, that's what I have to say about that. She was Nancy Kerrigan in the semifinals. And it wasn't her fault. No. The thing is, I feel that RuPaul, with this big budget on VH1, is trying to wring as much as she can out of this franchise. Some of us have been here since season one. Since 2008... You and I have. I feel like we're OG fans. We're loyal to the death here. But, like, that was some bullshit. RuPaul invited the queens who had been voted off to decide which two queens lip-synced for the title. And that's messed up. Like, I'm so mad.
0: Because what is the criteria of this show? What is the reason for competing? What is the, what's the way in which they're being judged Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Is it that because you've done everything the best, you've displayed the most charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, or is it that you've tried the hardest, you've won the most participation ribbons? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have? Do
1: you need it the most?
0: Mm-hmm. You've you've shown potential in your previous season, you've shown some potential this time around, still not quite enough to be the best, but, you know, we're going to give you a little push. Mm-hmm. No. No
1: my theory i i've never been a fan of Trixie mattel a full disclosure nor have i i don't dislike her i'm just not i'm just not on the train like mm-hmm. I, I just don't get it she has had very big success off the show she has a, a series on vice tv with katya who is absolutely brilliant who is one of the most robbed queens in drag race history in my opinion I just I don't like I don't really find Trixie all that funny. I I understand that she's talented, she's not my thing. So my theory is that RuPaul saw the massive success she's enjoyed, deservedly, off the show and she realized this is a mistake that I need to rectify. I don't think that RuPaul likes when queens have success and she hasn't she, she credit hasn't for blessed it. them. Do you know what I mean? Like, she sees it as a mistake that Trixie didn't excel on the RuPaul show. And has then gone on to have success. Because Ru, in many ways, is the arbiter of drag queens in mainstream culture in the U.S. now. And RuPaul sees Trixie as a miss.
0: As having circumvented the pathway.
1: Or that, and now can be seen as like, wow, I didn't, you know... You didn't perform that well on Drag Race, but now I see you've turned it out. You've come so far. And I just... I mean, just, to make it seem like it's not something she missed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see it. Shangela pissed off a lot of the queens because she won, and she had to vote them off. So they see... Obviously, they're salty about it. They're pressed as right? all hell. Like, it was an inherent disadvantage to have won so many challenges. And... To be very clear, this is not a knock on Kennedy Davenport because the bitch is a legend. She's one of the best performers out there in the game. Like, I love Kennedy Davenport. I will ride with her. And I honestly feel horrible that she feels like she's a second or third thought when she goes on tour with the other RuPaul Queens. People are out the door lining up for Pearl.
0: All well, these basic white queens, really.
1: That's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. there is... A, someone wrote in a really great article about the race problem in RuPaul's Drag Race, and it was really more a race problem with the fandoms, is that these queens of color, like Kennedy, Coco, Shangela, have to do everything so much better to earn half the fans. And it pisses me off.
0: I've been living in North America since 2003, and a good, put, good chunk of that, well, for four years of that was spent living in the States. Mm. And something I've always said is that from my experience, the so-called gay community is far more racist than society at large. Ooh. I've always felt that. Yeah. And, um, and we've seen this with various movements, be feminism and the way in which minority feminists their voices are suppressed Mm. it's the same thing within the gay rights movement like minorities tend to get pushed to the Mm. background
1: if you see it as like we're fighting for an even smaller piece of the pie yeah right so the the people of economic and racial privilege are the ones who are dominant
0: even in minority movements and a lot of time within again the so-called gay community people of color serve the sole purpose of being fetishized and that's mm-hmm. it or entertainment hmm that's it yeah and um, that's all I'm gonna say on that <laughs> you can come at me all you want that's yeah. been my lived experience so
1: that said no you know Trixie Mattel is talented she's also half Native American but she uh, she acknowledges that she is white presenting and and has a a very enlightened view of what that means. Like mm. all credit in the world to her. My
0: comments were in respect to building off of what Kennedy was mm. saying about being an right. afterthought. Right. Right. I'm just
1: mad. I'm so pressed about how that ended because I say wanted to say nothing of the Ben fairly. thing
0: when Ben voted mm. her ass off and then brought back Morgan McMichaels.
1: Like what the fuck was that?
0: I, I, what I, I really don't know why we're talking this much about it. Like you have it here on this agenda. <laughs> because
1: I love the show and the season started off crazy. Like the talent show at the beginning of All Stars Three, Aja jumped off that huge platform. I mean, the Queens were able to show just how talented they are, and it was it was amazing T V. And I think that Rue really sabotaged this whole experiment. I agree. Now for something completely different. We finally saw Black Panther.
0: It was amazing. I do not like superhero movies. This was, I would posit, not a superhero movie. <laughs> I, we, I think we've only seen one other
1: Marvel Universe movie. Was it The Avengers? The Avengers, like the first Avengers. And it was, I mean, it was all right. Like, it was, it was fine, right? Black Panther was on another level,
0: as I'm sure you all know. It was so smart.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is not, I mean, if a white person were to say, oh my God, that, that black movie was so smart. <laughs> oh, it would have God. a different connotation, right? That's not where I'm coming from Okay, here. so you take this then. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, it for a superhero movie, it was so damn clever in the way it played with movie tropes and flipped them on their head.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where we think that the crazy white dude, the maniacal white dude, is the villain and you've come to accept him. And then you realize, oh, well, he's dead. And we got this other dude who is the actual villain. And we don't know whether we're supposed to like or hate him. And you can make an argument for either. And there's (laughs) like a 20-page paper that can be written for either way. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, this is actually... Fairly common in superhero movies and comic books, like the villain has sometimes has intentions that could be seen as as noble. Are you well actualing me? <laughs> <laughs> like in the in this case, Eric's intentions were liberation, like the international decolonization movement, basically, but. You knew the outcome was going to be, like, horrifying. Just arming people to overthrow governments and then, you know, who's in control and uh, when does the violence stop and all these things.
0: It wasn't, it wasn't
1: like a coherent political
0: no. project. That was the problem. Whether or not they deserve it is an entire different matter from yeah. how practical it is for the survival of right. the world. He, he was obviously very damaged,
1: mm-hmm. but his intentions were not uh, necessarily evil.
0: It would have resulted in World War, it's all the way over. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but there, I mean, there was just so much incredible stuff about this movie. The, the woman. Yes.
0: The mother. The Miss Angela mother. Bassett. Miss Angela Bassett again.
1: What an inspired casting choice, first of all. And then Letitia Wright as Shuri, as... T'Challa's sister. Just everything. Like, cast her in everything. I absolutely adored her. I loved her. And Lupita Nyong'o, like, goes without saying, just burns off the screen. Chadwick Boseman had the very difficult job of adoring her. (laughs) I, I just imagine that if I ever met her in person, I would fall in love immediately. Don't you feel that?
0: I don't. Really? Like, sexually?
1: No. No, just just like absolute adoration. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Denai Guerrera as a general. She was um, all sorts living, of fierce living.
0: She was willing to kill her husband for her <laughs> principles. He's like well, You're really gonna you really gonna st- chat me with that knife? He's like bitch I will. Yeah. You know I will. Says something. He's like, I, I bow to you, queen. <laughs> I mean, he, like, kind of deserved it. The whole time I'm watching Daniel Kaluuya, I'm expecting him to be this noble character, and he turns out to be a big piece of shit. (laughs) I wanted to scream in the middle of the theater, get out! (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? Mm -hmm, Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Actually, Lakeith Stanfield is, like, the only thing that was missing from Black Panther. Cast him in everything. I had no idea Sterling K. Brown was in it either. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had to take off my 3D glasses for a moment. I say, is that Sterling K. Brown? Oh my god, is that <laughs> Randall? <laughs> Speaking of, that episode about Deja and her mother wrecked me. Like, destroyed me. And, man, like, just, just cut the twins out of the show.
0: Really. Seriously. Come on. Like, mm-hmm. they're so annoying. You've sidetracked. Is there anything yes. else you want to say about Black Panther? No. That was it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I will let, you know, non-white people talk about Black Panther.
0: We just want to encourage you, if you were one of the 2% of the world population who hadn't seen it yet, <laughs> like we were, to go see it because it was, it was that good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go see it again. Thank you for listening. We want to tell you that, again, like last year, the podcast and myself will be in Charleston, in press. Mm -hmm. So there's that to look forward to in the next few weeks. It's the first, it's the tournament starts the 2nd of April.
1: The day after
0: Easter. Yeah, so that's in, that's in two weeks. Yep. Crazy. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And
1: I'm James. I'm at Elliot JMR. That's two L's, two T's
0: the podcast is at the body serve on twitter similarly on instagram till next time